Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with talented New York City jazz singer Barbara Rosine. Over the course of our interview, she talked about spending some quality time in the Kansas City area playing at joints like the Green Lady Lounge and Jardines. She grew up in a small town outside of Cleveland, Ohio, and has gone on to become a star in the realm of the 20s, 30s, and 40s jazz world from her home of New York City. She talked about performing with the Harry James Orchestra, Vince Giordano and the Great Nighthawks, and taking her music to fans all over the globe. In addition to the jazz, she is a visual artist and gives lectures on the Tin Pan Alley composers and early women jazz singers. She's full of wisdom, stories, energy, and surprises. So dig this interview, my friends. Pleasure. I love Kansas City. Let's talk oh. about Kansas City a lot. You know, we're kind of having a little bit of our own jazz renaissance, so to speak, here. So it's been really nice lately. I know you are. And I was a little bit of a part of that. And I, I still hope to be more of a part of it. We love anybody that can come here. I did play at the Green Lady. Yeah. And I was at Jardines, and before that happened, <laughs> and I yeah. know a little bit about that. Oh, yeah, that was a mess. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I know some of the inside scoops a little bit, and I've been at the Majestic with Bram. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've made the scene a little bit. Yeah, you punched your Kansas City jazz card for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, one thing that just happened recently, they, they there I don't know what magazine it was or what outfit, but there was some kind of reputable outfit that ranked the top ten jazz clubs, and the Green Lady broke the top ten list. So, Isn't that crazy? It's cool. It's like, you know, if there was any other way of christening your city, uh, you know, being a top club is a good way to do it, you know? Yeah. Let's get into your life here. Let's get into more specifically lately. What kind of activity on a regular basis goes on with you and your jazz life? Well, I mean, for the last, I guess, since 2009, so that's like a long time now, yeah. I've gone out with the Harry James Orchestra, you know, and we, we'd, we'll have like a five-week tour or a month tour or we'll have a string of dates or something like that, and then there won't be much for a while. But that's a really great orchestra with some of the original charts of Kitty Callen and Helen Forrest, and so I get to do all of that without having to be the band leader and at a you know in lovely lovely places all over the country and Canada and you know cruises and everything so that's been a great thing to have happen to me kind of kind of lucky yeah absolutely well and and half of what happens in life is luck you know so but you uh, have to have the chops when luck comes calling you know that's the thing yeah without a doubt without a doubt so your last album was 2013's Nice and naughty. And I want to ask you this. When you go into making an album, what's kind of your uh, opera mundi, so to speak? Well, I made a string of, of records or albums or whatever for this little album, uh, this little label called Stomp Off. So they have certain, you know, parameters, perimeters that you work with, and that is it really has to be 20s and 30s stuff. So yeah. they're paying, they're footing the bill, and, and I had to work within those 
stipulations. But that's really not a problem. You're allowed, you know, you're able to bring whoever you want on it. So for me, I like to, you know, obviously, I, I want the best musicians that I can possibly afford and have, and I want them featured. I've always wanted to be more of the side man because I started as a big band singer, so I just got up and sang a few tunes and sat down. And it, it's always been more about the group than just, like, I'm a cabaret diva. I, I don't like that scene at all. I don't want it to all be about me. Yeah. Too much pressure, man. And yeah. it's also so, I, I don't like it. I don't like the whole philosophy of it. I, I like the collective thing, you know? Yeah. So when I go to make a record, I want Connell Fawkes, who plays with the Woody Allen Band, who has a sound like nobody else. And on that record is Andy Stein, who played with Prairie Home Companion and with Vince Giordano for years. And I've got Craig Ventresco, who's this guy out of um, California who plays guitar, and he plays this sort of archaic style that, that nobody does. He sounds like some turn-of-the-century black guy just picking in some place in you know New Orleans. No one sounds like that. Wow. So I want that kind of thing. I want it to be somewhat unusual. If you get too unusual, it, it's, um, you know, then you're not mainstream and nobody's buying your records. Yeah, yeah, that's a double-edged sword for sure. Yeah. For sure. So do you have anything brewing on the horizon? That was in 2013, the last album. Is there anything coming up for you? I'm trying to decide about another album. And recently... The grandson of Jimmy McHugh got in touch with me, as everybody probably listening knows. It was a wonderful, wonderful Tin Pan Alley composer. And he said, you know, the family had heard some of my recordings, and they really wanted to support me with whatever I was doing, and they were playing me and kind of promoting me a little bit. And then I also heard from um, the granddaughter of Johnny Burke, who was an amazing lyricist. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do anything else... I should maybe do something that those families sanction and do something about those composers, maybe. So that's possible. Yeah, yeah. So let me let me get back to the beginnings of your life. Where were you born and raised? I was born in Ohio, outside of Cleveland, a very small town. I'm very Midwestern still. That's one of the reasons I like Kansas City. I really related to it when I was out there. Do you have any plans on moving to Kansas City, or is it New York? Well, no, I mean, like, I really do like the vibe of New York. I like being here. But I'm in Ohio a lot. Kansas City happened because I'm dating someone who's an artist, and he was commissioned to do a whole lot of work in Kansas City for the Kemper family, really, for the, the Commerce Bank. And we got to be very good friends with them, and we were out there for many, many trips. He actually did a poster for the uh, Performing Arts Center, that amazing performing arts center that you guys have. Yeah. And so we we, we got to know Kansas City because we were all over. And because I couldn't really put my work on hold, I set up a string of things that I could do. I would actually I would actually move to Kansas City for a while. That's how much I like it. Yeah. I was with Dave Bassey and Steve Ragazzi and um, the Pagan, um, Mike Pagan and Julie, because um, wife I went to high school with her. Yeah, so I mean, do I have plans? I would move there for a while, you know, like if I got an artist teaching position or, or my boyfriend did or something. I would certainly. There's not that many places I would move to, really. Yeah. I think you guys are really lucky. It's really happening. 
Yeah, it's it's a great town. You know, I interviewed David Bassey a while back, and he described the fact that Kansas City is like, it's a big town, but it's a community. And I always hear that from local musicians, that when you're in Kansas City, there's this level of camaraderie, and everybody's working to help each other get gigs instead of it being a competitive environment. And I always get the feeling that it's easier to find your artistic voice and feel at ease getting in touch with your artistic center when you have that kind of energy around you all the time. Oh, it's, it was very open to me. I mean, cats came in and sat in with me when I had my Jardines gig, and I literally had been on the scene for a week. And yeah. they were, like, great. Yeah, it was, yeah, it, it was really nice. Yeah, absolutely. So let me get to, so you're, you're born and raised in Ohio. Talk to me about your family and what lent you to get into jazz and singing. My dad was a lot older than my mom, like a, a generation. So his father had actually sung in the 1930s in um, speakeasies around Detroit, Cleveland, the, the little circuit, and had like a group kind of like the Happiness Boys, you know, like a quartet. Yeah. Um, and they sang in harmony, and he was on the radio and supposedly made some records, which we can't locate. I have some old business cards. They were called the Sparklers. My dad kind of really grew up with that. My grandpa played the piano and the violin, and it was always in the household. So my dad, you know, we had a huge collection of 78s when I was a kid, and I would play a lot of those, um, Fanny Bryce, and, and, you know, so it was really there in the house and respected. And my dad had sung his way through the military without having to do any real um, fighting because he had his own, own quartet. So that was kind of cool. So when you were a kid, did you always know it was going to be singing and jazz and that was going to be your life, or was there something else? Well, I I always wanted to do it, of course, and it was respected. So, But I started with musical theater and, and light opera. And then by the time I was in college, I had been in, you know, Sweet Charity, and I had been in, you know, done all the things that girls do that think they want to be in show business. But I got I got to doing um, big band work even in college. So I was singing professionally by the time I was 19 or 20 with a big band in Cleveland. And so that was took up my weekends. Yeah. And once you've been a professional, you kind of don't want to do anything else. So where did you go to co- where did you go to college? Oh, I was at a, a very small Jesuit school, John Carroll University, and it was out, you know, right in Cleveland. So I had moved from a little town into at least Cleveland. I mean, I wanted to go to to um, NYU, but my father was like, nah, that's a little too far. So, I mean, eventually I got here anyway, and I always say that. You know, I had to do a commencement address not long ago, and I said, you know, don't don't sweat it if you're not going exactly where you want to go when you want to go, because if you want it enough, you'll get there through another road. So I I ended up here and started to sing with Vince Giordano, who has made such a scene with the 20s and early 30s stuff, you know, on everything, on Boardwalk Empire. And, I mean, he created this whole thing, and I, I made my first album with him because we were on the same wavelength. So what is it about that era that you loved so much that you dedicated your gist of your jazz voice too well i think i like anytime it's the beginning of something everybody does i mean really who likes jumpsuit elvis they all like the beginning elvis 
Yeah. So, um, um, I was singing the big band music and I was, and then I got with Vince and it, it was so fascinating to me to learn more about the early recordings. So then I thought, well, some of these early recordings of women aren't, aren't that good. I mean, they're scratchy, not just because the records are scratchy, but because the recording techniques aren't that good and you can't hear their voices as well. So, or they just sound like whiny, you know what I mean? And yeah. I thought, well, why don't I redo some of those? Because why would I redo something Ella had done that was recorded perfectly? Or, yeah. you know what I mean? So I thought, well, I'll take some of these Ruth Edding things that sound kind of dated, even though she was so fantastic, and I'll do that. And because it hasn't been done yet. Now everybody's kind of doing that era, but at that time it wasn't. And And then I realized... Too, I liked. I just liked the whole vibe of the 20s and 30s, of the uh, the beginnings of it all. You know, the Tin Pan Alley composers. There really was a Tin Pan Alley, and I like to think of that. I guess. So let me ask you this: You've gone on, as we've mentioned, as you've mentioned, performing with the Harry James Orchestra, Vince Giordano, the Woody Allen Band. What's it like to be around that kind of high caliber of energy and that 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 vibe on stage well i think uh all the three things you mentioned are very different but i mean when i when you travel with the big band when i travel with the big band or you do the same show over and over there's an excitement but there's also a relaxation because you're with the same players all the time and you kind of settle into that and that's when i think people make their best music because they know one another, and hopefully you're in a, in a band where everybody supports and likes one another. And, I mean, I really have that with the Harry James band. So it's not so much pressure, in a way, from concert to concert, because you, you've settled into that. But it's also... Well, it's funny, because Connell Fowkes, who I'm on with a bunch of records, is the pianist for Woody's band. And about the same time that he really started to play with Woody all the time and tour with him in Europe and, and do some of the films with him, I hooked up with Harry James. So we both had kind of this other life where we'd be on the road and then we'd come back in and have our own thing. And it was nice because it felt more even because we both had big things and yet we both did the little club still and everything. Yeah. That was That was nice. Yeah. Let me ask you this. You've traveled all over the world. You've been uh, a guest artist with orchestras and been at festivals. What's it like to get out on the road and present your music to different cultures and crowds? Oh, well, I mean, some of the time, for me, uh, the words of all the Tin Pan Alley lyricists, you know, I love the cleverness of that. That's another thing that attracted me to that time period. But, so I mean, when you're in France, you have to wonder how much they're understanding, <laughs> you know. And so that that's one of the reasons I think the early music maybe isn't as good if it isn't in an English-speaking place yeah. because the lyrics are so important. You know, so I was doing a little festival in France, and I tried so hard to sing a couple things in French. And, and of course, the French love jazz and love early jazz. But when when the lyrics are so important to you, you, that that does cross my mind. But I mean, in France, we were driving along, and they, there was a, a 
a huge like poster of the band of me at the side of the road <laughs> because they're so excited. Yeah. I mean, that would never happen in Ohio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if there is that, and then, but I mean, it's it's still it's still a job, and people think it's so great that you're traveling, but it's it's softing. I mean, I don't. God, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. But I mean, the last thing I did over there. Was, I, I don't even know how I got up on stage because I was so jet lagged. Do you, you know, you played all over New York. You played in spots all over the world. Do you have a really good jazz story that's safe for radio? Well, I will say that the fans, I mean, I, I was in, I was in Kokomo, Indiana, and, you know, somebody just had heard of me in my own little music with my own 20s and 30s things. And came to a, a gig with the Harry James band, and I met him afterwards. And he was so thrilled. He actually had written something for their local paper about, you know, you never know who's going to show up in in Kokomo. And he yeah. had me up on a par with like, you know, Bill Clinton came, so and so came, Barbara Rossi came, <laughs> which really makes me laugh. But I mean the. Being on the road is fun. It's fun to get on the band bus and go from place to place, and those are those are the stories that I really, I, I, you know, I think of being in a, in a total blizzard in in the Rocky Mountains. You know, hoping you're going to get there, and uh, I mean, I don't. The bus driver doesn't even know how he's going to get up the mountain. That's what I think of. Yeah. So let me ask you this: You started a lecture on the Tin Pan Alley composers and the early women jazz singers. What what has that been like to lecture um, on these topics? Well, I mean, I did it at the New School uh, when I first started, and um, that's the New School in in, um, in the village. And there's a great jazz department. It's amazing how people don't really know how the kids, I guess kids, 19, 20, 21-year-olds, don't know um, how it all started. And I guess it's, it's fun to you know, they're exci- it's exciting for them to, to learn that. So that's fun for me, I mean, and to talk to them afterwards. And that's really one of my favorite things to do, to to to, um, to talk about the beginnings and the beginning of the recording industry and, and the people that were on the scene then. So you're teaching a lot of people about the history of jazz. Let me ask you this. Who has taught you the most about music? Vince Giordano helped me enormously, taught me how to write my own lead sheets, and really taught me how to set up a recording date. Um, he helped me a lot. Um, and then I had a voice teacher in the city whose husband uh, was named Bob Coben, and he had taught Barbara Cook, the famous Broadway and cabaret woman. He had taught Barbara Cook kind of her style. They had a teaching method. So I took from his wife, Joan, after he passed away. So I, I kind of learned the same technique as Barbara Cook and then there were people who had gone in there to kind of get fixed, people like Liza Minnelli and Lorna Luff, Judy Garland's other daughter, and, and some other pretty famous people had taken up this method. So, and the method is also, has, I can't believe I'm even talking about it, but it's it's sort of about take what you can get with your voice and in life and just keep, keep working. Um, so she, this woman, Joan Coben, taught me, it helped my career, really. It yeah. helped my whole attitude. But Eddie, yeah. Eddie Davis, who leads Woody Allen's band, he helped me a lot, too, when I was first on the scene. He would always have people come and sit in. 
and he'd push them to do a better ending or or teach them, you know, just how to act within a band. He's still with Woody, and he, he gets that whole band together on Monday nights at the Carlisle. So that's kind of great. I yeah. Mean, he's, there's so many generous people, really, that see some potential. Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you this. Coming from that nostalgic era of the 20s, 30s, and 40s, if you could get into a time machine and go back and see a performer, who would you go see? Well, I'd really like to see Ethel Waters. I would like to go to the 1938 Benny Goodman concert at Carnegie Hall. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've given this some thought. <laughs> you know, it would wouldn't it just be a blast to be in the city it's nineteen twenty eight and you're hitting the speakeasies? One oh, one you know. How how bad would that be? Oh, get out of town. I'd love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the the reason why I asked this question is because I've been down on eighteen and vine and up, especially, you know, some years back in the nineties when it wasn't really hopping that much like it is now. And I remember I used to think if I could just get down here for one night when that all was going down in the Paris mm-hmm. of the Plains Pendergast era, it would be amazing, you know? So, um, Yeah, I think that walking around in New York, too. I always think it would make a wonderful film. I absolutely will. And I think that Robert Altman kind of wanted to do that with that 96 film, Kansas City, really wanted to capture that kind of era of jazz that was going down at the time. So, um so let me ask you this. Why do you love jazz? You've dedicated your life to it. You obviously love it. But tell me why. I think it's it's really like a, I guess a primal thing in a way. I think it's just what you feel. It's the groove I feel. I think that's true of people who love rock and roll or they love the blues. There's something about the rhythm of it or the... It's unspeakable, really. I don't. I don't think. I mean, all I know is when I hear it, I want to move. And I didn't feel that so much, you know, when I was doing, you know, Broadway and 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 that kind of thing. And I didn't certainly didn't feel it as much, as much with the big band. But when I heard earlier earlier performers, I mean, there's just this groove, and that just touched me. I don't think there's any way to make that happen for a person. You either feel it for this particular genre or whatever, or you don't. What do you love the most about New York? <laughs> you know what I think it is? I think it's it's the closest thing you can get to almost being back in college or university because you walk out the door and anything can happen to you that day if you're open for it. You can yeah. go... You know, you can meet anyone. I was standing going, I was going for a run. It was maybe five years ago. It wasn't working as much or something was happening where I was like, maybe I shouldn't even live in New York anymore. And um, this is the, the the man who wrote Angela's Ashes, McCourt, Frank McCourt. Yeah. And I was, I was standing waiting to cross the street. This was not long before he died. And I, I recognized him. And he goes, oh, I wish I could still run. I used to walk a lot or or whatever, and now I'm, I'm you know, just a little bit too up there. And I thought, I saw Frank McCourt. Or you, <laughs> you will have those experiences, and, you know, in a way you want to go, that's a sign I should stay. Yeah. I think it's just, you know, the other night I started to paint. I've been painting as well as singing, and I've been painting all the jazz clubs where I've performed. And I painted a thing of the Carlisle with the whole Woody Allen band. 
and I hadn't seen the guys for a while. And I, I wanted them to see it because the Carlisle had picked it up and put it on their Instagram and I was psyched about it. And I, so I just like didn't have anything to do that Monday night. So I just went over. I didn't, you know, I didn't have to pay. I hung out with the, the manager, John Domanian. I saw Connell and Simon and, and Jerry Zygmunt. And, um, I mean, where can you do that? Yeah. It's yeah. my home, really. It's my jazz home, I guess. Yeah, and I did see your paintings on, I believe, on your Twitter account. I really like them. They're great. Oh, good. Thank you. I'm on yeah. Twitter and on Instagram. And, and Jerry is the one who runs the Woody Allen Band on Instagram, so he posted it. And, and I've made sales, and I've got commissions, and I have a show coming up in May at the club called Mezro. So it's a whole thing where this other thing I love to do is is colliding with singing. Everyone has their version of who you are. Your family does, your friends, those you perform for. But tell me, who do you think you are? Wow. I mean, I guess what I try to do with every everyone, my in my art, in my music, with my family. I mean, I have two children and um, and a mom who needs taken care of sometimes and I mean, I guess what I want to do with all of my life is to be unaffected and real. I mean, I've tried to do that with my music and everything. I guess I'm I'm a person who doesn't like affectation or nonsense. I like it when people are who they are. And that's the other thing that that drew me to jazz. Um, Because, you know, show music seems just so silly and like, and cabaret is like, well, I pose this way every single night. And, you know, then I started to hang out with real jazz people. And they were so real and just who they were. And I guess my dad was very like that. I'm from a town where people would be like, well, what do you think you're doing? <laughs> Get off your high <laughs> horse. or You know, and I feel that way, too. I look at what people try to do. And even some of the younger people in, in the in the jazz business. And they're all about dressing up in the clothes from that time period, but they haven't learned the progressions of the song they're playing, or they they don't know the origins of it. And and that's you know. So I guess I try to be authentic. That's yeah. what I want to 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 leave with my kids and everybody that I speak with. That's to me very important at this point in my life. Absolutely. That's, a, that's great. That's a great answer. It's a great way to kind of wrap up all of my questions. Thank you for taking some time out. It was great to get to know you, and hopefully at some point I will make it up to the Big Apple and, and see everybody in person. Oh, I'll be in Kansas City. You can count on it, too. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Barbara for her time, her music, and her story. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store, or visit theneonjazz.blogspot.com for all things Neon Jazz. Until next time, Enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.